Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I'm so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. And today is part three of beautiful conversations I'm having with Danny Willow. Danny, thanks so much for your time coming back and talking to us again. Hi, Joss. Lovely to be here again. Thank you. So today we are going to continue the conversation that we started last time. So if you haven't listened to the last episode, I highly recommend you go back and listen to that. And what we're doing is going through some of the lists of three of the aware parenting theory and how to sort of put it into practice. And these are lists that came initially from Aletha and then Marion really expanded on them and created lots of lists of three of her own as ways to help map the theory to the practice. So we're just talking through their work and our interpretations of this theory and then how we have used this with our own children. Anything you want to say about the lists and the premise of the whole conversation? No, just that I think the reason why, and I reiterate it from our last episode, which was that we just really wanted to have like quite a a strong foundation of the aware parenting theory so that when we talk about other topics, people really understand a lot of the language that we're using and all the different holistic parts that there is to aware parenting and we love connecting this obviously with story and we often tell little stories about our own children or for ourselves so I think that's really powerful but I think as we move on to future conversations it's really good to just have this grounding of like this is actually what all of this theory is and where it comes from and I think these lists just really support listeners hopefully to understand a little bit more about aware parenting. Mm, Yeah I think it really helps to clarify some of these things which can be complex at times and I know that there's been times when I've been sort of confused about how to respond to my children in situations because I'm sort of getting a bit stuck in the theory and and what's going on and how I should be responding and all that kind of thing so I just think the more we talk about these things in accessible ways the clearer it becomes for all of us including us I mean I learn lots of stuff each time we talk about it too so there's always new layers there's always like subtle nuances and extra understandings and sometimes just saying something in one particular way will just be a bit of an aha moment for somebody so yeah I think it's really helpful Oh, the other thing is that we were intending this to be just a single conversation and now it's turned into two and who knows, it may be three. <laughs> Wouldn't that be perfect if it ended up being three conversations about the list of three? But so where we got up to from the last time was we are now talking about the three possible responses that our children and ourselves can have when we have painful feelings. So that is we might go into expression or repression, or aggression. And this is one that came from Marion that I think originally came from a different aware parenting instructor whose name I've forgotten, or sorry. But yeah, this was, I think, Marion's really clear way of, of describing these three states. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Yeah, it's interesting, like, 
when we think about it because it's quite simple but often we as you said before we can get a bit confused about oh what's actually happening and how do we respond so maybe we'll just start by going through the three different giving a bit of an explanation so with expression the idea is that feelings that we see with our children are released through things like playing and laughter and crying or raging and then we have that support of the loving person beside us so we're never leaving them on their own we're always as an adult we're coming in and being with them and being that calm supportive anchor to be able to listen and hold and really what this is doing is releasing if there's accumulated feelings if there's be mini traumas or major major traumas that we're really supporting them to release all of these things and this is helping them through the crying and the raging to release stress hormones, the physical tension. I mean, something I love that you once said that I really resonate with, Joss, is just that idea of when we watch our children have these physical expressions, uh, physical releases, that they you can actually see the tension like moving out of their body. And that we, if we can just try and sit with that and imagine that, we can start to see what's happening. Do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I mean, I think if we look at children at different ages, we can see this process at work. And so often with a baby, for example, there would be, if there's big feelings and they're expressing big feelings, there would be lots of of crying. There might be like arching their back, lots of kicking feet and, and moving arms. And that's often what you would see with a baby. Whereas with a toddler, for example, you might see it more in that kind of tantrum way where they fling themselves on the floor and they're stamping their feet and and punching with their hands. It could be with an older child, just some tender crying, soft crying that they are using whilst they're also expressing with words how they're feeling. And for adults, of course, it can be yeah, through words that can be through through crying as well. It can be through raging and, and yeah. screaming into a pillow or punching cushions, or it can be just sort of tuning into our bodies and connecting with the sensations inside of us and, and what that's trying to, to tell us and allowing that to move through us, either then through our words that we're sharing with somebody else or, or just through that quiet reflection. So it, it can look really different, but all of those things are, are clearly our children's way of, or our way of releasing stress and tension. And what we often see with children as well is what Aletha calls so beautifully the broken cookie phenomenon, when our children will have a huge outburst in response to something tiny. And a traditional parenting paradigm would say, you know, stop making such a big fuss about nothing. I'll give you something to cry about kind of approach. And when we see it this way, we can see how incredibly wise and sophisticated that the our bodies are and our psyches are to be able to have a situation arise in front of us that causes us to be upset. And for all of these extra feelings on all of this extra stress and tension from previous experiences to piggyback onto that and to come out in this big, big way. And I love how Marion really encourages us to be watching our children after these kind of expressive moments um, or hours in some cases and how much more relaxed they are in their bodies. And, and for us too, as, as adults, when we release feelings in, in some of these ways, how much more calm and relaxed and centered and grounded and balanced we all feel afterwards. Mm. Yeah, I was going to speak. I think that last part's so important. You know, often when people might say things like, oh, you know, they're just not having the big release or it's not working. It's often something that you and I have spoken about before when people say that. 
and I know Marion's really big on this at the moment, like saying that you're the researcher, like observe them and see what happens. And I think often we get really caught up in being in the crying or being with them in that moment, but we're not looking at actually what we're seeing afterwards. So if we're still seeing after a little release that they're agitated or they're not still willing to cooperate or maybe they're not drifting off peacefully for their middle of the day nap or whatever it is, whatever age they are, then we can kind of go, mm, okay, there's still there's still stuff there for them. But I think that if we can see the evidence afterwards of like they are deeply relaxed, they are really connected to us, they are willing to do all the things that we ask them to do, they do want to play with us or they snuggle in close and they just drift off to sleep really easily, then we can kind of see that that the body has done what it naturally, you know, it's an, a natural innate mechanism for the body to be able to release all of these things is to go in and to have a really big cry. I often like to think of it and relate it. This is the first time you're sort of hearing this information. You're in the kitchen. You've had a really hard day with the kids. Really, you're trying to cook dinner. Maybe they're not eating what you've made them. And then if you're frustrated, you can feel the pent up energy from the day. And maybe your partner walks in and he comes in or he or she comes in and they put their hand on you and they say, hey, how was your day? And you just turn around and you just break down and have that really big cry. And then once you've done that and you've been heard and you've been held and maybe you've raged a little bit and you've said to the kids, it's not about you, this is just about me, and you release all of that suddenly it feels lighter. It feels like, oh, this feels so much more manageable because I'm not walking around with all these different feelings inside of me and all these different thoughts. And I think if we can relate it to that, this is the same thing for children. It's no different. And it's just our body doing what it needs to do to get us back into these beautiful balanced states where we do feel really connected and happy and we can cook dinner and do all the things that we want to do. So yeah, I really, I really love that. So I think it's about being researchers and looking for the evidence and knowing what it feels like for us as well as adults so we can understand what's happening for our children. Yeah. And I love that this process is a natural process that our children will spontaneously do when they're upset. So we can see that this is something that they're naturally going into and that can help us to be reassured. And I think when we start this process, sometimes we're wanting to, to listen to the feelings, but there's also a part of us that wants to shut them down because it's it's difficult to be with feelings, particularly when feelings weren't welcome for us as children and we didn't get to express feelings. And again, you know, that was often shut down for us when we were in our childhoods. And so it's a process to learn to be comfortable with feelings and to learn to welcome feelings. And there's a real difference, isn't there, between saying, yeah, I'm here to listen to feelings and to go, wow, great, there's some feelings here. I can actually listen to them and I can be here and hold the space for as long as it takes for them to go through the process and to release it all and to come out the other side. And sometimes there's parts of us that are wanting it to stop now. Okay, I've had enough of the crying, can't listen anymore enough that we just don't have capacity to listen anymore, in which case we we do have to say, oh, sweetheart, I can't hear anymore. And I know that there's feelings there and I'll come back to it another time. But I do have so many examples of seeing my children with big feelings and moving in and holding that space and then seeing them come out the other side completely transformed. Do you want to talk about any experiences of you, you watching this in your children or recent mm. times that they've expressed, what that's looked like? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think we spoke about this in the last episode as well and possibly in every conversation we've had, but just that I guess when when Kiki was born, I really thought that she would be 
the same as Marley. Like I just assumed that all children were the same. And I think what what I'm really realizing and over the years and listening to more mothers and like each child is so unique and what they need from you to hold and move into feelings is different. And we've spoken about this before, you know, one needing more play than doing listening, you know, or others needing us to come in and really hold the space and, you know, create it and really make it safe. And I think when Kiki was a baby in the beginning when I first found Aware Parenting, I found it in some ways harder to listen to her because I didn't really know what was wrong in inverted commas you know with a toddler you can kind of Marley was like two and a half three you can kind of do like oh they want the blue cup they're not getting the blue cup okay I can listen to those feelings because I know it's all about that and I think where it really pushed me to sort of go in and really do a lot of inner work was to be able to hold for a baby because a baby that is their form of communication And I love how Marion speaks about this, you know, that we really, I think we underestimate how many feelings babies have. And so what I really started doing was having this deep reflection of like, well, imagine being Kiki. She's on her back. She can't make choices. I'm choosing what she wears. I'm I'm trying to feed her when I think she needs food and she might not, she might be communicating something totally different, that she's hot, that she's cold, that she's overtired that she's you know had enough of me talking to other people and she wants my attention that you know every single little thing that could be happening for her we've got to really tune in and be quite attuned that sensitive attunement that Alexa Salter speaks about so beautifully we've got to really be quite attuned to what's actually happening and I think once I really started to deepen that understanding I had to sit with a lot of my own you know, in a work around that because I wasn't listened to as a baby at all. And I know that my, you know, my parents that I love very much, you know, they did sleep training. They were like, we're not going to be getting up to you in the night. You need to learn to sleep. And so I knew that this way was going to be different. And I think often when I work with new mums who have babies, like it's really hard. That's probably one of the hardest elements and the most controversial in a way of parenting because we are sort of offering them this beautiful space and to, to listen and to do exactly what we've just explained, to express these feelings, to let them move out of the body. But what did I observe when I started doing it? And I think that was for me when I went, wow, this is really amazing. I noticed, I mean, she never took a dummy. She she fed, but it was quite stretched and, you know, over a certain amount of hours, like four or five hours apart. And so I couldn't just like feed her to sleep the way I had with Marley. She didn't rock. She didn't pat. I mean, they were all the my attachment parenting um, skills, that skill set, my tools that I had, and I didn't have anything more than that. And so I had to actually learn to listen to her. She really called me into that because she was like, you can't do all the things that you did with Marley. They're not going to work for me. So what did I notice? I noticed that when I sat in the room with her and let her have that really big cry, she fell asleep much easier and slept for a longer period of time at the beginning of the night. And then it would take a little bit over over a couple of months of my capacity to be able to do listening in the night. That was like the next step. But in those beginning days to be able to listen, like I had, I would say to myself, up until 12 o'clock, I'm happy to listen. After 12 o'clock, I'm not ready to listen yet. And I communicated that with her and I do this big chunk of listening before she went to sleep and she always just drifted off so peacefully, um, you know, hands above her head and how they do that. It's so sweet. All relaxed, you know, and it was just beautiful to witness. But I also noticed a very, very, very different 
baby on the other side. So what I noticed in Marley as a baby was she was always really frustrated and there was lots of crying, like if she did tummy time or when she wanted to roll or, you know, there was a lot of like developmental frustration that she had probably because that's where she was allowed to sort of let it out in, in that sort of space. But with Kiki, during the day she was so peaceful. She wasn't whingy. You know, one day she just rolled, the next day she just crawled. You know, there was never any of this frustration because I was allowing her to express it in these very beautiful held together containers and so for me I think that's when I really you know and I was also doing a lot of listening with Marley which I've spoken about in another episode with you around the dummy so it was like this dual listening and I was obviously I was getting a lot of listening as well because it was a lot but I think that's for me where I went this is really working and this is the evidence I need to go she's sleeping longer she's not fussing during the day she's not whinging she's having these beautiful feeds that are really spread out so I knew that in between if she did fuss or she did have some feelings that I knew it wasn't about that. And I just I just went so much more smoothly where I feel like with Marley there was a lot of rocking, padding, shushing to try and like stop those feelings. And then they would come out in other places like being up for three hours in the night as a toddler and having no sleep and all that sort of thing. So for me, that's where the magic lies is when we can see those little pieces and go, wow, this is the evidence that I need to know that it's in inverted commas working. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I really resonate with so much of your story because I had the similar kind of thing with my kids and didn't really discover aware parenting until my first was two and a half. And what I remember noticing in those days, there's a couple of really strong memories that are coming back to me. One is around my son starting to have tantrums before I discovered aware parenting and me just not knowing how to respond at all to that and just being like horrified that my beautiful baby had had been replaced by this monster (laughs) and just being like really shocked and really struggling with the fact that I'd I'd done all this for him and so much closeness and so much co-sleeping and all of that stuff. And here he was with big feelings and I had no idea what to do with them. So he was naturally going into expression and I was working against that natural process because I didn't understand it. And then I remember when I had my first session with Marion and we were talking about my younger child sleeping and we were also talking about my older child and tantrums. And she said, this is his body's way of expressing stress. And because he hasn't cried, there's lots there. And that's why he's having lots of big tantrums now. And I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe that's true. But if I if, uh, I was worried that if I just listened, I would be condoning it and would be making it worse and be making him more likely to have lots of tantrums. And so I remember like the first few times that I listened and I just stayed with him and I offered him love and reassurance while he just went for it. I was apprehensive about what the result would be. And yet after a few times, I noticed such a profound shift in in his body and in his behavior and in his ability to be flexible, in his ability to be loving towards his sister and in in the, the tension that he was so obviously carrying in his body. And so that was this really powerful reassurance that I needed that he was expressing feelings in these behaviors And again, I remember with Jada early on, I mean, I guess it was, she was probably about one, somewhere in the early ones. And we've been doing aware parenting maybe for about, I don't know, half a year or eight months or something. And one day she had this huge cry. And of course, for our second children, 
Now, life is so much more hectic and stressful than for a first child because she had this loud brother tantruming left, right and centre around her and she was being dragged out to this play and that park and things. So she had lots of big feelings. And I remember this moment when she released this huge, huge, huge release and then slept absolutely beautifully. That same thing that you're talking about, open hands open. And then, yeah, when she was about one, I remember she just started talking, just started sort of putting words together. And she had this huge cry. And afterwards, like it was one of those really, really big ones where you just think, oh my God, can I actually survive this huge, there's so much emotion here. I don't even know if I can hold it. And at the end of it, she was in my arms and she looked up at me and she said, best in world. And it was just the most divine moment of my life. It was so gorgeous. And like, that was the first time that she'd really combined words as well. Like, so it was just, there were just so many examples of that where I just saw evidence of them going into these spontaneous way of expressing feelings. And when I understood that that's what they were actually doing and supported them in that, rather than shutting down that natural process, so much of that tension was gone. It was just, just beautiful. Mm. Oh, I love that story so much. Oh my gosh, that's the most beautiful thing ever. I hope that's like written down somewhere for her to read. And- <laughs> yeah. In fact, now if she's angry and grumpy with me, I say, but Jada, I'm best in world, remember? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. That's so beautiful. That is really special. Yeah. I was just going to say, did you want to continue on now because and talk about the repression side of things? Because that's, I guess, what we're kind of alluding to here is like we have these really big, you know, we watch our children and ourselves have these really big expression of these feelings. But what happens when they're not having it, which we've kind of spoken a little bit about so far? Yeah, well, repression is a a huge thing that I think every single human in the world is currently doing to some degree. And what we're doing when we're repressing is that we are unconsciously using different patterns and behaviours in order to, to suppress feelings and to protect ourselves really from these painful feelings. And it might be that it, it's because we're not experiencing that sense of emotional safety that we need in order to be able to use these natural stress release mechanisms. and almost anything can be something that we use to suppress feelings. And in aware parenting, we talk about this in terms of control patterns. Mm -hmm. And really often our control patterns that we've used and developed throughout our lives become the similar kind of control patterns that our children adapt. But really almost anything can be used to suppress feelings. So it might be movement, it could be eating or drinking, it might be breastfeeding or dummies, it could be screens could be books, could be lots and lots of things. And really it what we are looking for is to see that our children have gone into repression by them either being very inflexible and really urgently needing to do something, mm-hmm. or it could be that they've just really zoned out mm-hmm. and they that you can see that dissociation that they've switched off, that they're like zoned out and and shut down. Mm. I'm just thinking of a very specific time, even last year, so it wasn't that long ago. And I think something that's really powerful to know is even as instructors, we're still, often people think we have like these perfect children. And the reality is it, it can't be because we didn't have this beautiful experience with our parents. Most of us didn't. And so we, we've got our own ways of repressing 
Um, and when it's not safe for us to feel or we don't want to feel potentially, we might have some more awareness and go, okay, I don't want to feel that at the moment, so I'm going to watch 10th episode of Netflix. But recently I remember, so Marley started at Woodline and she has this bunny, which is called Sparkles, and he, can't, he was going to school every day. And in the beginning I you know, didn't really think anything of it, but I started one night when she couldn't find the bunny, was like really hysterical about it, like really upset, really worked up. And that's when it all of a sudden, you know, it just happened so organically that I didn't even really pick up on it because it was just always with her. She was walking in with it every day, you know, tucked into her arm and and she wasn't really having some really big releases at all. And, you know, weeks and weeks went by and she was very irritable and I could, you know, she'd go in, we'd go into her room and I'd sort of set limits, but we'd never get to the feelings. We'd do play and that would sort of bring her out of it for a bit, but I could see that there was much more for her. And I think it was one day on a call, just in our community, and you said it's like that desperate need to have this thing when we can kind of see that we're moving, you know, that they're moving into sort of repressing the feelings. And I went, oh, yeah, okay, I think that that's just what's happening here for her. And so then when the one night we we couldn't find it, and we've lost this bunny multiple times, he came, seems to keep coming back. So that's a good thing. As in, you know, we've left him at a restaurant, he survived that. He got lost in a backpack, he survived that. So he does come back. But I noticed a shift in the feelings around the bunny when she, so that night, you know, she did, we, we listened and both Clint and I with her and we held, and, you know, he really wants sparkles. And she had really, really big feelings about that and she went to sleep without him. And the next morning she woke up and it was like a different, different child. Like she was really imbalanced. And then we happened to find him and she was like, oh, okay, good. I'm glad he's there. And there wasn't that like, oh my gosh, I need him to go to sleep energy and I need him to go to school energy. And then over time, you know, I've noticed, I just sit with these feelings of, I observe and watch and I can see that when feelings do start to come up, it often does become about needing to hold him and have him and where is he? And then I can just set some limits and hold some feelings around that. But it really is we have to be quite curious and observe because it can happen so quickly, right, without us even really noticing that that's the thing that they're doing. And so, yeah, I just I found that really interesting and I think that's the same for me as well, you know, often I will do something like watch that 10th episode of Netflix or whatever it is. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh yeah, I am actually not wanting to feel what I, you know, what I need to feel here. Maybe let's switch it off and set a limit with myself and call a listening partner or do what I need to do to move. So I think it can happen quite quickly. I'm wondering if that's something that you've noticed as well. Yeah. Yeah. I love that story. And I think it's, Again, it comes back to tuning into our children all the time, doesn't it? As much as we can and and looking at them and what they're doing and how they're choosing to spend their time and what quality of feeling they're bringing to how they're spending their time. And it's the same for us as adults, of course, as well. So it could be that we love to, I don't know, go swimming, for example, in which case that's wonderful. Go swimming. That's really lovely. And if we're finding ourselves urgently having to swim with this kind of real tension and agitation around it, then we can see that this beautiful thing that we love to do 
we are using in that moment to to suppress feelings. And then, of course, we have the choice, as you say, whether we can like just offer ourselves some compassion to to be aware that that's there and to choose to continue to do it anyway, or to reach out for some support somewhere to be able to access some of the feelings so that instead we can just really enjoy going swimming rather than it having this sense of, God, I swim now. I mean, that's not the best example probably, but you know, um, what I'm trying to illustrate is that absolutely anything can be like that. And for adults, it's often things like, you know, drinking wine, having a glass of wine in the evening. That's a lovely way to relax and unwind. But if we're doing it every day in in a way that we really feel that we need to do it, and if we don't do it, we can feel real tension there, then that might be an invitation to move in. And similarly with our children, I guess we can see lots of things in our culture that are really enticing for children and really like deliberately marketed at children and are incredibly addictive. So for young children, it might be sugary sweet things and ice creams and that kind of thing that's all like in this bright packaging and it tastes delicious and it's right at their level in the supermarket. There's lots of ways that our culture encourages the suppression of feelings. And for older kids around screens, for example, I mean, you know, these devices are incredibly addictive and, and a lot of the apps and games and things on them are deliberately designed in a way that are really, really, really addictive. And so it's very easy for us to be using these things to suppress feelings. And so I think it, what, like you said, what's really important is just to bring awareness to what are we doing? What are our children doing right now? And what is the quality that is underneath? are doing it and is there room for some compassion and or maybe some loving limits or something there but yeah it's a it's a big problem because suppressed feelings get stuck in the body and cause pain and illness and you know there's lots of talk now in our culture around stress being the cause of disease for example mental and physical disease and really what we're talking about when we're talking about stress is repressed feelings so yeah, it's a really big thing to start to become aware of and then to support ourselves and our children to move through. Mm, yeah, I love that. And I think that connects really beautifully into our next segment, which I'm going to ask you to speak about because you speak about this really beautifully, is when it becomes suppressed for so long, then we start to see aggression. And then this is another whole topic. And I think that aggression in children and aggression in adults right because there's a lot of men hitting each other in nightclubs right we can move into these places where suppression's been in the body for so 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 long that they move into this place of feeling like they need to let it out in these ways which are not so healthy and often aggression has a really I think, you know, when I was growing up, aggression was like a bad thing. It wasn't something that was labeled as there wasn't a healthy way to release it. It was either you suppress it and you hold it in or you do the opposite and you're labeled like a bad kid, a naughty kid, a rough kid, or he's challenging, he's got disruptive behavior. And so you're really seeing that scale. But here we're kind of speaking about something completely different. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I loved how you brought it in that it's if we repress feelings for too long, then we're automatically going to get pushed into this aggressive way. And as we spoke about last time, with aggression, it's a real sign that our children or ourselves have moved into that hyper arousal nervous condition state. And so, yeah, we get more and more repressed unexpressed accumulated feelings building up more and more and then we get more and more agitation and tension coming in our bodies and then yeah we reach this sort of tipping point where we go into that 
sort of hyper-aroused response, and then we can see aggressive behaviours in ourselves and our children. So in our children, it might be hitting, biting, shouting, grabbing, throwing things, slamming doors, that kind of thing. In adults, it's usually rage. In parents, it's usually going into this sort of rage that we didn't even know was there. Shouting could be, yeah, hitting out, lashing out, might be yeah, breaking things, smashing things. Yeah, I mean, I remember one time when in parenting, I just got so overwhelmed by everything and I picked up the remote control for the TV and I just flung it at the floor. And I was, it was, I was, you know, sometimes we're pushed into these states so quickly that we don't even, we're not even aware that we're in it until we're right in it. And there's that red hot rage feeling that just comes through our whole bodies. And it's so, it's just so normal. And it is such a clear sign that we are full of accumulated feelings and we really, really need support to release those feelings and support as well to to recognize more when we're starting to go into that place so that we don't get to the stage where we're so overwhelmed with these feelings that we start lashing out and are aggressive. And it's so interesting how often our children become aggressive. And I think I did an episode on my podcast, on this podcast about aggression, and I think it's had, it's the second most listened to episode on the podcast. So it really shows how how common it is and how difficult it is for us as parents to respond to aggression. Sometimes it's really big stuff that our children are going into. And sometimes it's just that our kids get really hyper and they're a bit annoying and they're bouncing around and they're, and I can see it in, in my daughter, even now, if she's like spent a lot of time on screens during the day, for example, then in the evening, quite often she'll start being really annoying and getting in your face and that kind of thing. And I'm like, okay, yeah, we've got lots of repressed feelings and they're starting to come out now in this because literally our bodies can't hold them in anymore so it's a really big invitation to go in and support more expression whenever we can so that we don't then need to go into repression or find ourselves uh, in this aggressive state I really love the way you explain that and I think for me what really really stands out is that it's accumulated over a long period of time and also that there are healthy ways that we can release it and I think for our children, you know, we can invite them. I think the the sort of rough and tumble power reversal play can be really, really useful, particularly if we know that there are, we can see it there. If we can start to like be knocked down by a pillow or have a sock fight, you know, we can start to get them to obviously release feelings that way. But equally, setting loving limits and doing some holding and listening around that can be really, really powerful to bring them back into balance. And I reckon this is one of the most one of the most asked questions I have in consults with toddlers, particularly and particularly boys. And I think what I tend to think is that because men, you know, when we look at men now and those boys as as children have been suppressed for so long, then we do see things like fights in clubs and you know all this sort of stuff because it's it's so suppressed but if we can start to really allow our boys you know and this is obviously generalization because there are girls that do hit and bite and all this sort of stuff as well but maybe just I don't know in in the consults I've done it does tend to be more mums with boys that have you know, find it really difficult because really we weren't you know like you mentioned we didn't have these parents that also then held for us I mean if if we had hit or smacked we might have been sent to our room we might have been hit ourselves we might have gotten into trouble we might have had a punishment or consequence or sent to time out all of those things so it's hard for our for us to be able to show up in this way 
and acknowledge, okay, they're going into this hyper aroused state here and now I need to be really grounded and and show up for them and maybe set a limit or do some holding to be able to get them to move through these feelings. I, I think that's quite a challenge that a lot of people find quite difficult. But I think if we can start to do that and normalize that anger is real, like it is a real emotion. And usually we label everything as anger, but there's other things under that, like frustration, resentment, and maybe they're just feeling resentful at their sister because they're getting all the attention, or maybe they're feeling left out, and maybe they're feeling really sad, maybe they're feeling grief. But we label sort of everything in this like anger bubble. But if we can kind of start to acknowledge that actually it's quite normal and that we can sort of move through these feelings, and yeah, then I think we can come full circle with growing these beautiful young boys into really compassionate, understanding men. And I think that's a really a beautiful offering that and gift to the world because we do need that right now. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it's so important for people to understand aggression more clearly because often if our children are aggressive, it it pushes us into lots of really unhelpful thoughts often. So we might be thinking, oh, what's wrong with my child? Are they going to be, how are they ever going to learn to control themselves? Are they going to be the one who's always fighting in the classroom or punching someone in a club? And So often we get pushed into those really unhelpful thoughts. And also it often touches lots of painful feelings in us too, because perhaps we've been on the receiving end of some physical aggression and and physical violence ourselves in some form. Or perhaps when we were children and we went into this hyper-aroused state, we were punished and and really love was withdrawn or we were were frightened further. Or So there's lots of parts of it when our children are aggressive and there's, there's our parts as well as what what we're doing to support them. So I think it's helpful starting point just to realize that it's a very natural way of responding to repressed feelings when it builds up so much that we can't contain it anymore. And it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with your child. It doesn't mean that they necessarily need to be medicated. It doesn't mean any of these things. It just means that they need more listening. And if we're able, or if we don't have capacity to do that, then it's just an invitation for us to go and explore what's coming up for us more so that we can then increasingly come back and, and offer them, hold hold the space for them so that they can offload this tension. Yeah, exactly. I don't have anything to add to that. That sums it up really beautifully. Great. So the next thing we were going to talk about is the three ways that we can respond when our children are upset. And of course, this is this connects in with what we've just been talking about. And some of yeah. this is going to overlap. But basically, when when we understand that underneath all of our children's behavior is is three things then we can understand how best to support them when they're behaving in these ways that we find challenging. And what I love most about aware parenting is that traditional parenting paradigms rather look at children's behavior as a sign that they're naughty, that they need to be punished, that they haven't learned what to do or how to behave properly, that we have to really control them and teach them good behavior. Whereas aware parenting really sees that there are these beautiful three things that we talked about last week as well that are underneath behavior. And when we really understand that, that that is what's going on for them and that that is what's going on for us too, we really know how best to support them in the moment. So the three ways that we can go into supporting them best is is one, to be exploring what they're thinking or understanding, two, to be looking at at meeting their needs and identifying what their unmet needs might be, and three is to be moving in with play or listening. So do you want to start? And as I said, we have spoken about this before, but I think this is just a a different way to, to help consolidate this. Do you want to start by about their thoughts and their understandings and so on? Yeah, I was even thinking we could maybe just give an example. I was thinking often when children don't, maybe in a young toddler, 
they don't want to do what we're asking them to do. I think last week you spoke about one about running across the road. That was if they continue to do that. So it could be the same thing with like putting shoes on or getting dressed in the morning. Getting dressed is quite a good one because I think a lot of parents have have feelings around that. But, you know, so what what the first part is, you know, what are they thinking understanding? They don't want to get dressed. So maybe we need to give them more information. So it could be, you know, we need to get dressed now. These are your options so we can move into choice. You can say they, we used to play lots of like op shops. We might need to give information about what the weather is. So is it, is it hot outside? We used to look at the weather app together and sort of go, oh, it's it's hot or it's cold or it's going to be like this or it's going to be like that. So having a conversation about what that could be. And then obviously moving into all of that choice, autonomy and independence. So do you want to do it yourself? Do you want to choose it? Maybe I I found it quite useful to choose things the night before so we could have these conversations. And then in the morning, it's all laid out. So we just had to get the clothes on. And I think, you know, when we've gone through and we've given that information and and maybe today's a a kinder day, if someone's going to kinder or today's a special day with mummy, we're going to do arts and craft. Let's wear something that is not going to get really messy or maybe we don't mind what they wear. Like with Kiki, she loves her tutu dresses. So that's been since she was really young. So that's, that's just what she wants to wear. And I'm not going to fight her on that. Even if they're nice and they get ruined, that's just what it is. So having those conversations, I think, can be useful and give you information first. And obviously then, as we said, the choice and autonomy. Do you want to do it yourself? Do you want to choose? And then we can bring in the play. And I found for me, and I and this was a game that I saw in Marion Rose's course to become an aware parenting instructor. It was a video of her playing this game and it really inspired me to play the game, which was she would jump on the bed and I would show she'd chosen her clothes. We'd gotten to that point and she, Kiki and Marley, they would jump on the bed and then I would throw it at them. And, and I would always do three throws where it went onto the other side of the room. So they would be jumping on. We had a floor bed. So obviously it was, it was easy. And so they would jump and I would like purposely throw it in opposite directions. And I'd say, oh no, I missed. Oh my goodness. You're just, you're moving so fast. I can't seem to catch you. And then on the third on the third throw, I would actually, they, you know, they would catch it and then they would put that item of clothing on. And so that would often help in the long run. You sort of think, oh, is this taking longer? But actually I found the old way, which was to have a huge argument with them. It's time to get dressed. No, you've got to sit down. We've got to put this on. And then they run away from you and then they're crying and we're listening to feelings. That takes way longer than just playing this short game. And they would get dressed so quickly and happily. The other one we would play was, does it go on here? Or does it go on here? And I'd like put, purposely put it in stupid places and I'd say oh dress and they'd be like mom that's not right and then I'd say well where does it go then and then they'd show me where it went so that was another really beautiful game that I that I really enjoyed and then if we play the game and they're still not really willing to get dressed at so you know then we had those days where even the games didn't really work that's where I you know we could move into that idea of setting a loving limit and listening to those feelings and so for me that's a really clear example of how we can do those sort of three steps of that giving the information really making it quite clear about what we're trying to do the second part is doing the choice independence and autonomy and then the third part is around setting doing some play if we can first and then moving into setting the loving limits and listening if it's not moving in the direction that we need it to together do you Mm. want to add anything to that or give another example 
I love that. I love that way you've explained it. And I think it's really nice as well that it is a bit of a, as we always use this word, the dance between all of these things, moving in with some information and making sure that they understand the expectations of them and then looking at meeting needs and then bringing in some play and then listening to feelings and then maybe going back into some needs. And yeah, it's it's a real fluid process, isn't it? It's not like a three steps, clear, distinct steps. I wonder if it's helpful to give an example then about how we might use this for ourselves as adults. Mm -hmm. And so we might use exactly the same steps in adults if we're feeling. So perhaps something's come up for us and we've got big feelings coming up. Then the first step would be around exploring you know, what, what we're thinking, what we're understanding, what our beliefs might be around all this, and just unpacking that a bit more or perhaps going to get some more information about something that's going on. So an example for an adult might be, for example, as we were just talking about, if our child has gone into being aggressive, then what we might do is to spend a bit of time exploring what's coming up for us, what we're thinking, what our beliefs might be, what we're telling ourselves in the moment about our children and their behavior and what it means about them and what it means about us. Maybe we're telling ourselves that we're terrible parents. Maybe we're telling ourselves that we failed as a parent. Maybe we're telling ourselves, oh, this aware parenting thing doesn't work. I'm doing such a bad job. And and so just unpacking that a bit more and exploring that and and giving some space and some maybe reflecting in a journal about it or maybe sharing about it with somebody can be a really helpful first place to get more clear so that our thoughts and our understanding isn't isn't affecting our behavior anymore and then we might be looking at our needs so you know what what's going on at the moment as well for us in terms of our needs in this moment maybe maybe we've got unmet needs for well, we've almost certainly got all kinds of unmet needs as parents in this <laughs> culture. So, you know, maybe we've got unmet needs for sleep or for rest or for space for ourselves. Maybe we've got unmet needs for, for harmony and ease at home. Maybe we've got unmet needs for connection with others because we're feeling quite isolated. So taking time to really identify what those unmet needs are for ourselves in this moment can be really helpful, even when we feel that we don't really have the opportunity to to make changes right now in that. So yeah, it could be that we don't really have the opportunity to go connect with another aware parent in person because we're living in a really remote place or whatever it is, but just bringing our awareness to the fact that that's there and then finding small ways that we can meet those needs can be really, really helpful in, in this process. And then the, the third one is around then expression of feelings and, and supporting ourselves. So maybe we can reach out for some support. Maybe we can have a session with our listening partner. Maybe we can have a session with a, an, an aware parenting instructor or with somebody who offers some kind of healing modality that re- really resonates for us. Maybe we can get our journal out and start writing down all the different things about how we're feeling. Maybe we can start practicing tuning in and connection with our bodies and, and our sensations in our bodies. What are we noticing is there for us? What what might be there underneath that sensation that we're noticing in our body? Or maybe we want to bring in some play. So we might want to bring in some laughter or we might want to go dancing or we might want to start moving in that way that is really helpful sweating shaking going through that process maybe we want to start screaming into a pillow or to be bashing something with our hands as a cushion so that might be this process in action for ourselves all of those different parts of that supporting us with the upset that we're feeling to come out the other side feeling more calm feeling more clear feeling more resourced Mm. what a yeah that's such a beautiful explanation I just think like how powerful is that like 
for us to be able to show up and do that for ourselves and maybe seek some external support when needed, but then to be able to move these things so powerfully to then show up more present and more you know, aware with our children and be able to really, I think it really is about observing the patterns in both them and in us, getting really clear. And I think in my experience, and I'm sure it's similar in yours, Joss, that the more we do it for ourselves, the easier it becomes to do it for our children and really identify what's really happening and go through these I don't want to call them steps because they're not. It's just identifying what is the thing that's really needed here. Is it the information? Is it the needs? Or is it to have that sort of release? And then when we can identify that, it becomes so much easier for us to move through these waves as they come. And that they always come. That It's not like we just listen and then it's finished and then they don't have any more feelings and we don't have any more feelings. It's this ongoing support process. It's really a process to help support both us and them. It's ongoing for life. This is a lifelong journey that we're on together. And I think when we can kind of see it that way, you know, something that I really love to do is when something comes up for me now, I kind of go, ah, okay, what's this here for? Rather than, oh, not again. Why am I feeling this? You know, we often move into these spirals of shame and guilt. If we're raging or maybe we've acted in a way that wasn't enjoyable or we've done something really unpleasant with to our child or said something. And, you know, as you mentioned, we're in that culture where it is, we're not, we're going to have lots of feelings, but rather than moving into that shame and guilt, see if we can start to catch it and offer compassion and then go, what's happening for me? Why am I acting that way? I'm really tired. I didn't have a good sleep last night. I'm really hungry. I'm really thirsty. I need the toilet. Maybe I just need space for my children. All of these little parts that then we can bring awareness to and go, okay, that's what's happening for me. And I can offer myself so much love and compassion in this moment because it's not my true essence of how I really want to show up as a mother or a woman or a friend or whatever's happening in that moment. And now I can sit and do all of those amazing things that you just suggested, like the journaling and the shaking or whatever it is that resonates for you to be able to move through that and come out the other side and come back into a balanced state. I mean, it's just so powerful. It is. It's so amazing. And I love how you spoke about that, Danny, about it being like this lifelong process. And I, I love that it's called aware parenting because essentially what this is, is bringing our awareness as much as we can to what's going on for us, what we're feeling, what we're needing, what we're thinking, what's going on for our children, what they're needing, what they're feeling, what they're thinking, and then responding to them. And this is aware, it's a way of living. And it's not that we're going to do this once or twice, like you said, and suddenly everything's going to be fine and rosy. It's not like a, a one once off thing and then everything's going to be fine in our lives. It is this ongoing process where we get to bring our awareness again and again and again to how we're feeling and how our children are feeling and how we're responding to each other. So it's it's like aware living really rather than aware parenting, isn't it? I was, I was just going to say it's like a bit of a trick because I think we come to it thinking we're going to do all this amazing stuff with our children and like, oh, I'm going to listen and I'm going to hold and I'm going to play and we're like, yes, this resonates. And then we kind of get like, a, oh, I actually have to do this for myself. So, you know, it's like the aware parenting and we're kind of reparenting and learning this new way of being alongside our children. I, I just want to say that we all mess up and that there are going to be times where we don't 
show up in ways that feel really good and all of that is okay because it is it's messy and and it's also really really beautiful when again we can go back and look at the evidence after we've gone through this process and see how how balanced we are or how we're playing so connectedly with our children or and the same for them when they're coming in and you know really playful with us or they're really snuggly or whatever it is that we're sort of seeing afterwards I think that's when we can see the magic in action and go wow this is really 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 beautiful Mm, yeah yeah and when we're feeling stuck with it all like you say that we all we all get to that stage sometimes where we're overwhelmed or we're stuck or we're lost or we're just really in that sort of yucky kind of feelings then yeah it's just an invitation to reach out for more support to bring lots of compassion to ourselves and to, to not go into that judgment that we failed as parents or that there's something wrong and just to come back to the basics and I've done that again and again and again and again over the last 19 years and I'm still doing it so yes it's just a it's an ongoing beautiful process that supports us to support ourselves and to support our children and just to bring this beautiful connection to to our life so yeah it's yummy mm, so yummy I think we might be stopping now <laughs> so it so. is going to be three sessions about the list of three which is absolutely perfect so I totally trust that we will get to all of these things in good time and in the meantime yeah we just want to send so much love to everybody really acknowledging everything that you're doing in your families to support your kids and to support yourselves and to understand this beautiful paradigm more deeply and to be able to then put it into practice in ways that feel lovely mm-hmm. and if you've got any questions about anything that we've spoken about today please let us know and if there's anything that you want to ask us then please reach out and Danny do you want to share anything about what you're offering at the moment um yeah not not really offering anything new just doing still doing all my sessions which are both online and in person here down in regional victoria along the surf coast i'm really enjoying that i really do love and i know you do as well the work, working with with one-to-one and and with i'm working with a few partners like families together and yeah i'm just starting out my term circles here which is really beautiful and i offer a fortnightly mother gather here at village birth on the south coast in torquay which is just mums coming together for an hour it's a free offering and we just sit and we have a chat it kind of feels like a circle because most of the time the mums are really vulnerable and they've all got their babies there and it's quite beautiful some of them are deeply practicing away parenting so it's really it's quite special to sit and watch them listen to feelings and just normalize what it is that we're what we're talking about here in these conversations so yeah that's what I'm offering what about you what have you got to offer Joss? Yeah, I'm doing the same sort of things, really, like doing lots of one-to-one sessions, working longer time with people. So doing lots of people are now doing like, you know, minimum of 10 block. I've got some clients who are doing fortnightly that I really like just ongoing. That's really nice. I've got a new round of my teens course coming towards the end of May, which I love because that's just such a beautiful space. And yeah, still working on putting together my other course about partners (laughs) that's just a work in progress I'll get there in the end it's nearly ish ready but I say that every time (laughs) I've just been doing some really nice presentations on various things that I love talking about recently so I've really been enjoying that so yeah lots of lots of lovely things so if you want to reach out to Danny her her um, website and her social media will be linked in the show notes again so we're sending lots of love to everybody Mm. and look forward to speaking to you more about this next time Thank you so much, Danny.
Thank you so much, Joss. It's so beautiful. I love our conversations. Me too. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm -hmm.